Wasn't that a powerful word? You know, that's the reality of being a Christian, is that we are born again to serve the Lord in reaching others with this wonderful gospel message of a God who loves and a God who cares. If not you, who? I want you to think about that. And if not now, when? We all have a responsibility to share our faith. And God gives us multitudes of opportunities. Well, it's always good to be here because this is the place. There's no other place like this place near this place. So this must be the place. Amen? So I'm glad I'm in the place to be a blessing to you today. So I trust that the meditation of our hearts and the words of my lips will be acceptable to the Lord and that we will be open to the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do in and through us. Today we're going to be talking about betrayal. So when I mention the word betrayal, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Is it somebody like Joseph or uh, Jacob or David or Judas? Or is it someone that's very close to you? Or is it your hurt, your disappointment, your feelings? The word betray actually means to prove faithless or treacherous to a trust or a person who trusts. To fail or desert in a manner of need. Think about that because today we're going to be looking at some illustrations from the Word of God. And I'm sure that many of you have been betrayed in some form or another. I know that I have been betrayed many times in my life and in my ministry. And believe me, it's never easy to handle betrayal. It's never easy to handle it, okay? Especially when you're dealing with the disappointment and also the frustration that it causes a person. If I think of what it caused me personally, and also to the work of the Lord, uh, that was even more difficult for me to handle. And I discovered through that that most times it's the people that are closest to you that betray you. By those in whom you've invested the most, personally sacrificed the most for uh, uh, materially, spent the most time with, made the most exceptions and excuses for, and, uh, you know, give the most opportunities to being on the platform or the pulpit ministry. But I also learned through all of that that I had to really, in spite of my feelings of frustration, I had to learn to handle it and go to God in prayer to pray for myself and to pray for those that betrayed me. I had to learn to forgive them, no matter how many times I had to forgive, over and over and over. I had to let go. I had to learn to let go. You know what? 
when people betray you, when you're angry, frustrated, and disappointed and hurt, you hold on to that. And I had to learn to let go because, you see, as long as you hold on to those things, you can't grow. And God's objective for each one of us when we've crossed that line of faith, when we've given our lives or invited Christ to take control of our lives, God wants us to grow. And we can't grow when we hold on to other stuff. So I had to learn to let go. And I had to learn to forgive even when I was unwilling to forgive. I had to learn to forgive even when I was unwilling to let go. I had to learn to pray prayers of blessing for those. Because if I didn't do that, I found that I was the one that suffered. Do you know what? I'm so grateful to God that by the Holy Spirit, he gave me that ability to do that because I want to tell you, if I didn't, this church wouldn't be here today. Because it's so easy for us when we are frustrated, when we get angry and disappointed, we want to throw in the towel, we just want to give up and do, do something else. But thank God for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. So remember, this series is what? It's all about loving like Jesus, okay? And so today I want to compare two traitors that we find in the New Testament. And as we look at that, I trust that we'll learn the lessons out of that. So we're going to look at the Judas and Peter, and we want to see how Jesus dealt with that so we can learn how to deal with that as well. You know, so I want you to know that both of these men were followers of Jesus Christ. Both of them were chosen apostles. Both of them were witnesses to the miracles and the teachings of Jesus Christ, you know. But betrayal usually comes in decisive moments. They come in decisive moments. And Matthew 26 tells us the story of Jesus' betrayal. In that story, we find that uh, the disciples are concerned about preparing for the Passover meal. And then Jesus declares that his time, his time, that word time is the same uh, used elsewhere to talk about the end of time. But Jesus says his time, his moment had come. His moment had come. And Jesus taught us to really uh, treat every moment in life as a precious, decisive moment, okay? And in this, his most, his most decisive time for him, Jesus is betrayed. And sometimes... I am reminded of someone who said that betrayal is always crouching at the door of every moment, every moment of our lives. It's a decisive moment. Think about that, how true that is. Every moment we are faced with having to make a decision. Are we going to be true to our word or are we going to betray our word? Are we going to be true to Jesus or are we going to betray uh, Jesus? So let's pick up the story of Judas as we look at it in Matthew 26, I want to pick up verses 14 to 16. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? They gave him 30 pieces of silver, the Bible says. And from that time on, the moment he'd received that money, from that time on, he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So let's call Judas the traitor who despised the cross. I want you to notice that these words that we've just read from the scripture come after a story where the woman comes to Jesus to anoint Jesus 
it's the story of the lady with the alabaster box and the precious perfume. And so the disciples are all gathered with Jesus. And here she comes and she opens up this box and pours this expensive perfume anointing Jesus's head. The disciples were indignant and they got upset and they said, this is a waste. It could have been sold for a lot of money and that money could have been given to the poor. And then Jesus said, why? Why are you criticizing this woman for the good thing that she has done? She has anointed my body for burial. And again, he added on and he said, wherever this gospel is preached, this woman will be remembered for the thing that she had been done. But that's not part of our message this morning. What I want you to see here is that Judas obviously became upset. I don't know if he had another agenda for the money. Maybe he didn't want to give it to the poor. I don't know. But I want you to know this this morning, that nothing can be worse than be turned over to your enemy by one of your own. You see, not only was Judas one of the disciples, he was probably the most trusted. So how can I say that? Because he was the treasurer. He carried the money. So I don't know what he had in his mind when he heard this or when he saw this, but it was immediately after that that he went out and he said, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus? Okay. And so he was trusted with that money. He managed all the resources. And better yet, he was, he was their friend. He was one of them. I mean, think about it. He'd walked hundreds of kilometers with his disciples. He'd sat around talking at the fire at night. He'd slept with them under the stars. I mean, he, he was there when, at the wedding of Cana when Jesus turned the water into wine. He was also there uh, when uh, Jesus fed the 5,000 people with the five loaves and the two fishes. He saw the lame man pick up his bed and walk. He saw the blind man's eyes focus for the first time. He was there when Jesus shouted to Lazarus to come out of the tomb. And he was there in the upper room. He was one of the disciples whose feet was washed by Jesus. You see, betrayal by strangers is hard enough. But betrayal by those that are closest to you is a killer. It destroys trust. It robs the past. And it can deaden your heart towards trusting again in the future. How many times have you and I perhaps said this? You've done me in. I'm never going to trust you again. I'm not going to trust anybody because every time I trust somebody, they do me in. It can deaden your heart to the point where you don't want to trust anymore. You see, in physical pain is one thing. But for Jesus to experience the pain of being abandoned by those who were closest to him, to be stabbed in the back, if you like, by the very ones that knew him best, even in that pain, Jesus knew how to respond to those who had inflicted it upon him. When it came to Judas, Jesus could have said to Judas, listen, I know what you're going to do. Get out of the room. 
He could have asked him to leave that upper room, but he didn't, okay? Instead, Jesus not only let him in, Jesus also washed his feet and Jesus gave him food, the food of the Passover to eat. You see, what was Jesus doing by bathing his feet and feeding him? Jesus was actually showing Judas that he was not being excluded from being his friend. So often we want to take matters into our own hands and we want to then exclude people. But we're here to learn to love like Jesus. And so it's imperative that we understand that instead of excluding Judas, Judas is invited in. His feet are washed. He's fed with that uh, Passover meal. And so here, what is Judas doing? Judas is included until the point where Judas decides to exclude himself from Jesus. Now, I don't know if his expectation was the problem because of that alabaster box of expensive perfume. But so often we put an expectation upon God to perform in a certain way, to do a certain thing for us. And when he doesn't measure up to our expectation, then we are like Judas and we exclude ourselves from Jesus, I trusted you for this and it never happened. I can't believe. You, 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 you hear what I'm saying? We don't even realize sometimes our own actions, okay? But we'll get to that in a moment. All right? But Jesus went on giving himself to the very ones who were going to give him away. Why? Because his faithfulness did not depend upon their faithfulness. So let me summarize quickly here. Let me summarize quickly here, okay? Because Jesus, as the Messiah, who washed the feet and who fed them in that uh, upper room, the supper of the Passover meal, knowing full well that someone was going to betray him, he was a Lord who just kept on giving, 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 okay? See, because that's the nature of Jesus, He's he's love. He just keeps on loving, 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 because that's who he is, okay? He always behaves in a loving way. We, when we find that somebody's going to betray us, we we, we don't operate that way. We want to have our own back. We want to take vengeance, okay? We want to exclude. We want to victimize. We want to criticize. We want to gossip. Not Jesus. He just kept on loving, just kept on loving, loving, loving. Loving, loving, okay? So if I summarize this, I see it's Judas's love for money that caused him to betray Jesus for that 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver, you could buy a slave. The price of a slave. That's the value that he put on Jesus. He despised the cross. We, we know that, okay? Because when he was confronted with the Reality of Jesus' impending death, what did he do? He let Satan enter him. And then he went and committed suicide. He hanged himself in his remorse. But there was no sign of repentance. 
Okay? It's one thing to be remorseful, but it's another thing to be repentant. So let's look at Peter then and we'll compare the two. So we'll pick the story up again in Matthew 26, verse 33 to 35. Peter declared, even if everyone deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, he said, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even knew me. No, (laughs) Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. So let's put this title with Peter, Peter the overconfident traitor. You know, and sometimes we have a false confidence, don't we? We think too highly of ourselves or we think too lightly of sin and Satan. I want to remind you this morning that we have no power over Satan in our own strength. The only power that we have over Satan is through the precious blood and through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And we need to take note of that. He's our enemy. And we can't just take him lightly. You see, that's what happened with Judas. He entered his heart. So my question comes here when I look at the story of Peter and his betrothal. My question that arises is this. What was in Peter's heart then? What is at the heart of of his denials? Remember he said there, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Confidence, boldness, brash statement. I wonder if he realized the fullness of what he was actually saying in that moment. Was it the fear of death? Because remember the story goes on that when they arrested Jesus, he, he followed at a distance. And then he was in the inner courtyard, okay, And people started to recognize him, all right? And so maybe he was scared if they recognized him, he would have to die with Jesus. So was it the fear of death? Uh, Or was it just a convenient way out because he lied? I don't know the man. Me, I know I don't know who you're talking about. Or was it the social awkwardness that he found himself in? Or could it be, in part, have been just the unfamiliar setting that jarred him? Because you know it's like sometimes you find yourself in a a setting uh, that's unfamiliar and instead of standing your ground, you buckle and you give in. But what we do know, however, when faced with pressure, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. The Bible says he even cursed and swore in that betrayal, in that denial. Jesus knew it would happen. The Bible tells us in Luke 22, verse 31, it says this. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you each like wheat. So Jesus knew ahead of time that Peter was going to deny him. But the beauty here is that it did not disqualify Peter. Even though Jesus knows we're going to sin, even though he knows we're going to betray, even though he knows we're going to fight, it doesn't disqualify us. It didn't disqualify Peter. 
You see, the big issue here is one of repentance. And sometimes we feel so distraught when we fail Jesus that we just want to go and hide. Have you ever felt like that? You know, and that's understandable. Because we just feel kind of guilty. Jesus, I'm so sorry I've let you down. We just want to just go and hide. But Jesus isn't finished with us yet. He's got something that he wants to do in us and through us. And we know that Peter was restored to ministry. So let's pick up the story in Luke 22 as we look at verses 60 to 62. But Peter said, and I referred to that a, a little while ago, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, listen carefully. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And I love this. Isn't it so true of the Holy Spirit? Doesn't he always do something like this in our lives? At that moment when Jesus turned and looked at Peter, the Holy Spirit brought these words to remembrance. The Bible says that suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, and the Bible says he was weeping bitterly. Suddenly, in that moment, when Jesus turned and looked at him, the reality sunk in, and he was so sorry for his attitude of denying Jesus, betraying Jesus, saying that he didn't know Jesus. Notice that Peter's turning point came. His turning point came when Jesus turned and looked. I don't know what was in that look when Jesus looked at Peter, but I'm sure it wasn't a look of condemnation. I'm sure it wasn't an angry look. You've let me down. I thought I could rely on you. No. No, 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 no. No, no, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a look that pushed Peter aside. You see, when Jesus looks at you, he looks at you with love. He looks at you and he sees within you the potential of what he wants to do in and through your life. So Jesus turns and looks at him. And I think it was a look of love. No, no, not a look of feeling sorry for Peter, but a look of love that... that, that, uh, that inspired Peter, that brought about that moment of conviction in Peter's life that led to Peter's repentance. In John's Gospel, the 21st chapter, you can read it for yourself. There's nothing on the screen that's going to come up. But I just want to say this, that in that chapter there of 21, we read of Jesus's threefold restoration of Peter. I'm sure you know this story. This is after the ascension. Jesus comes to Peter and he says to him, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Do you love me? 
Lord, you know I do. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? But, but Lord, you know all things, you know. Yeah. But the point is, three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? And he said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He restored Peter. The same Peter who denied him was restored to ministry, okay? And then in Acts chapter 2, we find uh, Peter, the, the same timid Peter who denied Jesus, we see the same Peter standing up and preaching the, pre- preaching the first sermon of the church. Oh, you men of Jerusalem, all of you people know this, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus that you crucified. Same man, restored to ministry. And so in looking at these two together, the statement that is usually made is that Judas did not repent, but Peter did. And in both these cases, there are signs of regret in their actions, okay? We see Judas in Scripture taking those 30 pieces of silver and taking it back to the priests and the priests saying, no, 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 and him throwing it down and then that field was bought for the unidentified whatever, okay, poor. But the point is that when he couldn't give it back, he went out and he then committed suicide. So we see that there was some regret in his actions. With Peter, we see him weeping bitterly. But in Peter's case, there's no specific passage that we can say, this is what we see where Peter has repented. But what we do see as definite proof is the passage that gives us the end result, which I've just shared with you. And so we are told that Judas was doomed to destruction. And we see Jesus restoring Peter. And so the conclusion that we come to is that repentance made the difference. You see, repentance is different from just merely being sorrowful, okay? It's godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. Repentance is where I come and I acknowledge, hey, I am sinful, I've done the wrong thing. I take ownership of what I've done, my deeds, okay? Because I can feel sorry, uh, just, I'm so sorry, just forgive me. So sorry, forgive me. But I'm not really taking ownership for my actions because I have no intention of doing so anything about just feeling sorry. Okay? And I know you can identify with what I'm saying. See, there's a difference with repentance. Repentance is where we really are convicted and see the error of our ways and we don't want to be like that. We want to change and we want to do the right thing. So if we look at Judas versus Peter, it's helpful for us here to see the big point. And the big point is this, a mistake does not render us disqualified. God still believes that we are useful. And beyond our mistakes, God can still use us because he intends to do great things through us. So don't let the enemy rob you if you've been betrayed and you're holding on to your hurt, and you're justifying your actions, let go and grow. 
because God has got some special things that he wants to do with you and the enemy would like you to hold on. He'd like you to keep on festering over that stuff, all right? So Jesus wants us to learn here how he handled betrayal. And like him, we must respond with love and compassion. And the first thing that we need to do is to understand that shock and anger is a normal reaction when people do betray us, all right? Listen to what Jesus did in John 13, 21. It's not going to come on your screen, but I'm going to just give it to you. You can read it for yourself. The Bible says that Jesus was deeply troubled. And that Greek word for troubled actually means stirred to anger or agitated. You see, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And knowing this, Jesus was shocked and he was angry. But he wasn't shocked and angry at Judas. He was shocked and angry by the victory of the evil in Judas's heart. Okay? And this is a good example to prove that Jesus loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Okay? If he didn't love us as sinners, he would not have died for us. And we need to acknowledge that we are sinful people in need of God's saving grace. And we need to acknowledge our sin when we are guilty of committing sin, if we're betrayed or holding on to anger, or whatever it might be, so that it can be dealt with correctly so that we can love like Jesus. If we don't, those things are stumbling blocks in us and they stop us from loving the way Jesus wants us to love. So Jesus shows us here that there's nothing wrong with being angry as long as we don't stay angry and let anger consume us. Because when we get angry, and I'm going to give you a, a scripture in a moment, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, and this is what it says. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Do, do you know what that means? Let me picture it for you. Have you ever had somebody close the door on you and you quickly stuck your foot in the door so they couldn't close it? That's a foothold. And no matter how hard the person on the inside tries to close that door, they can't because this big fat foot is in the way. And then this big fat foot goes a little bit further. The minute that they feel there's a relaxing of the pressure and it goes a little bit further, 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 further until eventually the whole body comes through the door. The door's wide open. That's how the enemy operates. So when I'm angry, when I'm shocked, when I'm holding on to my justifications for feeling the way I feel, that's why I asked you right in the beginning, when I say betrayal, what comes to mind? See, as long as you hold on to that, you're right in feeling that way. You're quite entitled to act the way you're acting. You're quite entitled to get cross and cross and cross. And eventually what happens? It builds up. And you don't even realize how deep you are in that situation. So don't give. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and your wrath. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. So the first way we respond to betrayal is knowing that anger and shock is a normal reaction. But then we need to take that anger and we need to take that shock and turn it into love and compassion. When Jesus hung on that cross, 
What did he say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And sometimes I think we need to just be like Jesus and say, Father, forgive them. That person didn't know what they were doing to me. Okay? Romans 12, 20 says this, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will hear burning coals of shame on their heads. And that's exactly what Jesus did with Judas. He washed his feet. He gave him the food of the Passover. And Jesus still went to the cross and died for Judas. And in spite of your sin and my sin, Jesus still went to the cross and died for our sin. And Romans 12, 21 says this, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So betrayal must be replaced by faithfulness in our lives, okay? See, because so often we declare with our words our love and devotion to Jesus, and then we betray him in a number of ways. It may not be like Judas. It may not be like Peter, but we do. We do. How do we do? How do we betray Jesus? By being hateful and spiteful in our attitude towards others. Because God calls us to love all men. Because it's his love that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What about the grudges that we hold? Jesus doesn't give us the right to hold grudges. He doesn't hold grudges against us. I'm not going to die for you because of this and this and this. He went freely to lay down his life. What about loving Jesus at church and then when we get home, we treat our family in a spiteful or hateful way? What about being unwilling to serve? See, the greatest thing that should be as a sign of our conversion is that we want to serve Jesus because we understand how much he loved us. What about not showing up on time for your commitment at work or at church? Don't we betray Jesus in that way? Jesus showed up. I mentioned it for you. That was his decisive moment. He did not not show up because of that moment. He knew what he was going to go through. He knew he was going to go to the cross for you and for me, but he still showed up. Now, I mean, if we're honest, as I come to a close this morning, there are many people, maybe from our own family or from Jesus himself, that if we look them in the eye, we'd have to say it is I who has betrayed you. Remember when Jesus was with the Passover and uh, he said, one of you are going to betray me? The disciple that he loved was leaning on his breast and each one in turn said, is it I, is it I, is it I? But thank God we can be like Jesus. We can love like Jesus. We can have compassion like Jesus because of the cross. You see, because the reality of the cross is this, that this old nature of mine that wants revenge, this old nature that wants to hold on to shock and shame and anger and all the rest of the stuff, this old nature has been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that live. But the life that I'm now living, I'm living by faith through the Son of God, through what he has done for me. And so if I really want to come free and if I really want to grow, then I need to understand that I can have redemption I can find forgiveness because of the cross. I want to close with this one scripture in Peter 2.24. 
It says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so often in the Pentecostal charismatic thing, we, we, we say that uh, that scripture is only for healing, physical healing, but it's not. It's the healing of our sins. It can include physical healing, but really it is um, I'm healed from the sinful nature. The very name of Jesus is, they'll call him Jesus for he'll save his people from their sins. And so he comes to save us so that we don't have to betray or that we can handle betrayal the way he did. And so my question is this, have you ever been betrayed? Are your emotions controlling you because of betrayal? Are you struggling with anger or unforgiveness? If that's you that God's been speaking to, I want you to picture Jesus on the cross with his arms outstretched, and he's saying to you this morning, come, come to the cross. Come lay that anger, come lay that shock, come lay whatever those emotions are upon me because I carried them for you so that you don't have to be subject to it, so that you can be free to love like me, not me, like Jesus, okay? Amen. I'm going to pray with you quickly. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that by the Holy Spirit, Lord, you will work whatever you need to work in our hearts this morning. You've touched us in many different ways. Whatever seeds have been sown, water it, nurture it, and bring us uh, to that place where we will be what you intended us to be, that we can live like you lived, love like you loved, and reach this world for you, because that's why you came. So give us that strength and power as we reconcile, as we release, and come back to you in Jesus' name. Amen.